Okay. Well, very warm welcome to you all this morning. If I could add my welcome uh, to those that you've already received, if you're a guest with us this morning, if you're a visitor. Uh, yeah, here we are. We are doing a series on the book of Acts, which is going through the back end of the book of Acts thematically, Acts 13 to 28. And uh, the theme for this morning is expansion. Ching. There we go. We'll come to that map in just a moment. And be warned, you need to keep clicking in a minute. We'll get to that in just a moment. As I was preparing for this morning, um, it's funny, I, I was undone in the worship this morning. Uh, what's funny is that as I was preparing for this morning, I was reminded of another occasion when I was here weeping. <laughs> I was back at the back there somewhere. It was one of those occasions when the hall was filled with chairs. It was one of the national fusion conferences, this organization that works with students across the UK that was here. And I found myself, um, it's about six years ago, sat in the back corner of the hall weeping with relief and with faith, weeping like a teenager. You know, children weep for all sorts of reasons. As you get on in life, you tend to weep more and more because of a loss, I think. Um, There's some kind of weeping that happens quite a bit in your teens, which is all quite intense and emotional and mixture of a sense of relief and possibility and resolution to things. And it was one of those kinds of times. And I felt that God reminded me of that this morning and said, there's something more of that for this morning. I'll come back to that later, um, why I was crying later, because it's something that God said, and I think there's something similar that God wants to do amongst us this morning. Expansion. The early church expanded. You better start clicking. Um, See where we get to. Jerusalem, Samaria, Syria, Cyprus, Galatia, Greece, well, Macedonia and Achaia, and Asia. That was called Asia then. Keep going. Oh, hang on, stop a second. Those, those first bits are bits that we read about in the book of Acts. There was this expansion of the kingdom of God from the place where it had been located for more than a thousand years, that is Israel, and it expanded into the eastern Mediterranean. That top bit is the bit that we read about in the later part of the Acts of the Apostles as Paul and Barnabas, and then Paul with other companions went out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ into the eastern or the northeastern Mediterranean. But we know, don't we, that there was a eunuch who heard the gospel and was born again as well and went back down to Ethiopia, and there is a Coptic as an Ethiopian Coptic church, which has survived to this day, there was, an expa- there, were, there was an expansion of the gospel, the gospel movement that went out beyond just the bit that's recounted in detail in the book of Acts. There's a lot more that went on. The gospel certainly went at an early stage down to what we now would call Ethiopia. Where else did it go? Oh, yeah, to Rome. Before got there before Paul did. There's another couple. Uh, North Africa, there was a church in Alexandria, which became a real centre. I think there's one more after this. Church went to India. If you go to Kerala, there are churches of a denomination called Martoma, which means Thomas the Martyr, because it's, uh, we're not quite sure 
exactly how and when it happened. They believe it was the Apostle Thomas that went and preached the gospel to them. But from a very early stage, the gospel spread far more than just the bit that's recorded in detail in the book of Acts. And we don't know quite what went on in Arabia, uh, but Paul, the apostle, was there for quite a chunk of time before ending up doing his work through the northeastern Mediterranean. And it's more than likely that there were churches there. There's just loads going on that we don't read about in detail and pick up from bits of history and archaeology. Part of our vision as a local church is going to students, local there we go, local communities, uh, yay, <laughs> and and beyond as well. We had a regional celebration. Uh, with some other, other churches to which we relate closely back a few months ago called To Infinity and Beyond. And that sense of going beyond is part of the lifeblood of our church. It's not only our vision, it's also our practice. Um, it gives me an opportunity to mention something which might be of interest. I was told it might be of interest. You know we have a church leadership team and we have uh, elders who are part of that church leadership team and who govern the church. But actually, it's been part of our practice as church, uh, as a church over the years to be part of a family of churches uh, wider than that and to have leadership teams that are operating across churches whose goal is not simply to ensure good pastoral care and good teaching and that the budget balances and all those other things that are part and parcel of local church life, but to make sure that we don't just get stuck in a parochial vision but that we think beyond. And there's a team uh, which has actually got in it uh, the wives of a couple of former elders of the church uh, and those former elders as well, uh, being Andy and Ruth and uh, Richard and Kate Colebrook, who aren't here this morning, together with some of our church leadership team meeting regularly to look at where's it all going? What's the bigger picture? How are our churches expanding together? It's a place where we'll talk about church planting and how do we get resources that we have lined up with being a movement and not just a parish that team gets the minutes of the meetings of the leadership meetings of our different churches and has is able to get insight into where we're at and help everybody to move forward towards all that God's got for us so that's part of how we think it's part of who we are as a church but I I am I reckon that when we talk about expansion, which is about international expansion, as well as just in our local region, there are a number of co- uh, questions that come to mind. I think I've typically heard four different questions that people have asked when we talk about mission and mission to different places. One question that comes up is, what right do we have to go to other nations and tell them what to think? It's a kind of post-empire anxiety that is aware that we once went to other nations and told them that they needed to drink tea (laughs) and wear ties and uh, you know there was some stuff that was really wrong in all of that Um, you know we did away with native languages as a as a as an empire in the British empire and all of that stuff and Say, what right do we have to do that don't we need perhaps to fix all of the wrongs and injustices before we start doing anything else. There's one set of questions. Another, perhaps opposite question might be, what ability do we have anyway, given how strong the churches are in many nations around the world? What have we got to bring to the party anyway? I mean, what have any of us got 
in mind going to China, where people are born again at such a rate that surely we've primarily got things to learn from them. It's another question that gets asked. A third question is a sort of resigned, oh, do we have to? Because of this idea that God's going to send me somewhere awful, where there's lots of mosquitoes and not proper toilets. <laughs> and I, and I, I suppose I, we don't even want to think about it, because there's this sense of, oh, I might ha- if I think about it, I might hear God say something really unpleasant. <laughs> and then there's another concern, which is that if we give too much prominence to what God's doing out there somewhere it will undermine what we're doing locally. We'll spend all our resources on other things and just implode at the centre. I hear all those kinds of questions. Let's turn to the Bible and it will help us. Turn to Romans 15. Uh, Whilst you're turning there, just to say, with this series, what we're doing is looking at the themes that come out in the story of the back end of the book of Acts, but then landing some... Uh, explanation of that in one of the letters that was written to the churches there. This letter, the letter to the Romans, is to that further, furthest most dot on the screen. The people who received this were part of the story. And the, yeah, let's look at it together. We're going to read from verse 15 as far as verse 26. Paul writes saying, I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is the province that's now sort of Albania area, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia, it's modern Greece, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, 
after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. Read a little bit more there. First thing that I believe we can see in these verses about expansion is that expansion is a gift. Paul is very clear in saying that the ministry that he have is by the grace of God. It's there in verse 15. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul, there we go, it's more or less what it looked like on the road to Damascus, I think. It's meant to be anyway. Paul was uh, encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, on the way to slay Christians, the risen Christ met him entirely at Jesus' initiative and uh, knocked him flat and he was blinded for a bit. And many of you will know the story, but it was God who took initiative in Paul's life. Uh, It wasn't that Paul was looking to try to make something happen other than to do away with the people of this Jesus. But God took hold of him and Paul's life was filled with gratitude for the fact that God took hold of him. When he wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul's motive in all of the ministry that he did was simply to offer something back to the God who had been so generous to him. The motive that he has here is really interesting. He reckons that by his ministry, there is going to be an offering given back to God of sanctified Gentiles. Which is to say that there's all these people out there, these nations, that's what the word Gentiles means, these nations out there who aren't following Jesus, who are variously immoral, ignorant, unable to praise the God who made them, uh, worshipping idols, all kinds of stuff going on. And Paul sees all of that and knows that when he goes and brings the gospel, not only will people get converted to Christ, but they will be made holy, they'll be changed, their lives will be different because of it. They will no longer be immoral, but will live with a purity in them. They'll no longer worship idols, but worship the living God. They'll no longer be given to violence, but share in the increase of the government and peace that there is in Jesus Christ. And God will be pleased. It will be like a fragrant offering, an incense that rises from the nations and gives something back to God. Paul's motivated by gift. He's been transformed as a gift, and he longs to give a gift back to God out of gratitude of all of these changed lives. And even in that giving the gift back, even in that transformation of people that Paul is passionate about going and contributing to, he writes here, even that it's all done, it's all done, all of the initiative, all of the energy, all of the success comes from Jesus Christ. I glory, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. By the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, Paul is crystal clear. It's not his clever words. It's not his long-suffering. It's not his 
discipline. It's not his grand strategy that leads to this offering going back to God, but he mentions Jesus. Actually, I don't want to talk about anything else except that which Jesus has done. And there's miracles and signs and wonders. It's the spirit that's at work. This whole thing about expansion is about gift. It's about grace. There's something about the word mission, especially overseas mission and the kind of going somewhere where they don't have such good toilets kind of mission, <laughs> that can land really kind of, oh, like I suppose we need to consider it at least. And yet Paul understood it was all God's initiative. And if somehow we can take hold of this understanding of mission and bring it under the umbrella of understanding of the Christian life, it's all by grace. It's what God does in us. It's what God does through us. And the fruit of it is joy for us because of what he does in us. And joy for him because of what's achieved that is an incense that rises back as an offering to him. Paul had the grace to be an apostle. And a question that I think is reasonable to ask is, that's all very interesting, but what, is, what on earth does that mean practically for me? It's very interesting to see how Paul gets to be an apostle, but I'm not an apostle. So it's, it's kind of academic Learning a bit of history. Oh, it's interesting that God did that. Because we have tended to have a view of apostolic ministry which is equated with leading a growing network of churches. So we have called people apostles where they're leading a growing network of churches, which excludes pretty much everyone. When we look at other gifts that are listed in Ephesians 4, we put a different hat on. I think prophecy, the scripture says that all can prophesy. Some are more prophetically gifted, and it says in Romans 12 that we should prophesy in accordance with the measure of our faith. So there's a growth in prophetic gifting, which happens as we grow in faith. It's a lifelong, hopefully, a lifelong maturing in that gift. And there are some people in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, obviously, but the New Testament too, like Agabus, who is named as having the office of a prophet. So we've got anyone can prophesy. Some have a measure of prophetic gift. And then there are some prophets up there whose uh, ministry has shown that there's a really strong grace on their life for that. And we'd say the same about other things, wouldn't we? We'd say that uh, evangelistically, all can witness, that all need to witness. Some people, though, are more evangelistically gifted and get on with that a little bit better. And then there are others, like Philip in the New Testament, that we can give the label evangelist. But the same thing's true in the apostolic as well. We're all called to go out and represent Jesus and bring his kingdom in places where it is not yet. And that's what the heart of apostolic ministry is all about. In the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest definitions of orthodox Christian doctrine, the church is described with four adjectives. that it, The church is one, holy, Catholic, which means to say it's all connected into the same body, and apostolic. And it doesn't make any sense for us to say, well, that unity stuff we must all embrace, and the holiness we must all embrace, but the apostolic bit, there's about four people we know 
the church as a whole is called to be apostolic. There are some that are more gifted uh, apostolically, and you see that in people around whom things sort of spring up and pioneer and new things are planted in places where there wasn't anything of the kingdom of God evidence, something new starts and it's solid and it's strong. And as Paul talked about Gentiles being sanctified, people's lives are being transformed and brought into conformity with the image of Christ. And there are some apostles with a capital A around as well. And uh, I mean, set the bar as high as you like for that, really. I mean, in the sense that I don't know that it matters too much quite where we draw the line. I mean, you, someone's leading a church that succeeds in planting another couple of churches. Do you call that apostle with a capital A? Do you have to go to, let's pick somewhere difficult, um, North Korea and plant a hundred churches before you get apostle with a capital A? I don't think that's really the issue, is it? The issue is that there is a grace given to the people of God that we're all called to have an apostolic dimension to who we are, just like we can all prophesy and we can all witness. And we want more of that, don't we? The scripture says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And whatever growth we have comes as we seek God for more. We will become better pastors as God's love fills us for people, we'll become better prophets as our faith grows. And she believed that the key, I don't know if I'm going to get through the, bother with the rest of my talk or not yet. I'm not yet decided. Because um, I think the main thing that God wants to say to us this morning is simply this, that there is growth in the apostolic for every one of us. And uh, it may be that you're primarily gifted pastorally, primarily gifted as a teacher, Uh, But over the years, we've put on training courses for getting better at teaching. We teach theology and we teach people to teach theology. And we sometimes teach people to teach people to teach theology. We're that good. (laughs) Uh, And the same with pastoral stuff. And and, um, we've taught people over the years how to get going prophetically, how to grow prophetically. Actually, that conversation has been reignited again recently. We've not done much about growing in apostolic ministry. And it's because we've had this idea that basically that's Steve Thomas, who was on the video. And if it, you're, some of you who've been part of the church for a while are wondering whether I am breaking with um, what's the, the party line in saying this. It's a conversation that Steve has been having with other ones of us for a few years now and saying, actually, together we've had too narrow an understanding. There was a a rediscovery of the fact that apostolic ministry is alive and well that has gone on over the last 20 years or so. And when you first start using vocabulary, you don't get it quite right, do you? And you first see it in the people where it's strongest and clearest. So that's, it's okay, but there's been a maturing of our understanding of apostolic ministry, which there is agreement about. Has anyone got a breathe leaf that they can wave at me? Um, back in September, hopefully most of you have not only seen one of these, but got one of them and are doing something with it. Um, it's an invitation to a closer walk with God. We recognize that as a church, in developing our spiritual lives, we've tended to be really good at the sort of big pushes of spiritual battle, like let's have three days of prayer and fasting, or let's have 40 days of prayer, that kind of stuff. And we haven't been quite so good at the daily uh, 
the patterns that you, can, you know you can sustain from now until either you die or Jesus returns. And this is about that sustainable rhythm, uh, encouraging us all to pause and pray three times a day, uh, around breakfast time, lunch time, and our evening meal. And it explains all of that in here. But part of the vision in here is this thing about space that says in here about why, why do we pick the name breathe? When we breathe, we expand our diaphragm and ribs, creating space in our lungs for air to flow in. As we create space for God in our everyday lives, we will discover how he longs to flood into our lives. There's something about this season of God expanding us. And it's no good us just talking about expansion out there in the world unless God's expanding us in some way. And I I believe that there's something this morning about him expanding us to embrace um, apostolic ministry as a church. Now, I know that that is going to sound a lot like giant apostolic ministry. What's that about? And I'm not going to be able to define it all and because I think actually there's something God wants to do spiritually, which is for there to be some impartation of something this morning. Um, to, as part of the, it's like a series of step changes that we're going through as a congregation. There's something in this area for this morning. And uh, Josh, can I get you up? Uh, do you just want to say who you are and what you do and that kind of stuff? Hey, everyone. Uh, I look after young adult missional communities at Philly uh, in Sheffield. Uh, so, yeah, you guys, sounds like you guys know missional communities. So, yeah, all the young adult ones. Um, and I will be, this term, starting to look after the student ones, the youth ones, and the kids ones as well. So, do, what was the other question? It would just be helpful for people to get an idea of, I know you'd be hesitant. What's the scope of that? Just for people to get a bit of an idea of... In terms of numbers? Or yeah, and the kind of different sorts of activities as okay, well. Okay, cool. Um, massive range. Um, so, young adult communities, we currently have eight communities. Um, and they all have kind of different missional visions. So, uh, there's ones that are networks. So, we've got like sport ones. We have uh, ones that are maybe workplace. I'm trying to think. I should know all that. It should reel off. But... Um, <laughs> We, and then we have, uh, like you guys, I'm sure, but um, what's the word? Neighbourhoods, communities. So we have different places in Sheffield that are committed to, to that area. Um, and, yeah, I've, I've, am I answering your question in the way that yeah, you want? that'll do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I just want you to understand that Josh isn't coming from a place of theory, but actually I suspect oh, okay, you carry right. as m- more church leadership and care for God's people than any, at least as much as the rest of us here. So I just want you to understand that it's a privilege to have both of you with us this morning, really, and thank you. This is what I'm trying to say. And um, just share with us what you felt God was yeah. saying in the prayer meeting beforehand, please. Um, it's interesting Steve's talking about um, apostolic, because it's something in me. I think, like, you know, I would say uh, I have an apostolic calling on my life. So when people talk about it, I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> um, but I think it's so true, and I don't think we teach it enough that it is this general thing that we can all take hold of and we are all called to do. And as we were praying earlier, I just had a picture of um, a barbecue. And, and at first it was, I didn't have loads of time to explain the picture, but at first it was um, 
that an oil drum had been cut in half. You know those big barbecues that are oil drums? And um, I was like, I was trying to figure out what God was saying with this oil drum. And then I saw like the preparation of the barbecue and the coals going in like a grate going down, uh, like lighter fuel going down and, and, you know, seeing this. And then it just sparked. It just came, the flames just came. And I felt like um, God was saying that, that, that there is a release of the apostolic coming, like that, that God's going to bring to light, like flame, flame up the apostolic. But that there is a preparation for that and that, that I think some of the stuff, you know, that, that Steve was highlighting in Romans about Paul just wanting to be focused on Christ, I think it's all kind of, you know, in my head, it's like, it's making sense. That preparation is, is just focused on Christ and wanting to boast in nothing but Christ and him crucified. And I think that's part of the preparation. But it sounds like you guys are going through that at the minute, that, that there are things that God's putting in place and bringing to into place that he wants to prepare before he releases the apostolic across across you guys. That's okay? great. Yeah, lovely. Yes. Thank you. Um, okay. Let me just work out how much of the rest of this I ought to say before we pray. I need to talk about invites, bishops, teapot, and tears. <laughs> I mean, I'll stick with my illustrations, and you'll have to trust me that you can connect it to the scriptures a little bit, I think. Um, suppose you got two invites, and one was from Bill Johnson in Reading to come and spend a bit of time with him, hang out with those guys. Uh, I'm, assess- I'm guessing that most of you know who are there. They're uh, leading one of the churches in the world that is increasingly seen as one of the places where it's easiest to meet with God and loads of miracles and signs and wonders and, you know, worship to die for. All that kind of stuff. Um, Suppose you had, at the same time, an invitation to go and visit someone struggling and because of their struggle, being a little bit depressed um, in a backwater village in uh, North Africa. Um, Which one do you think the Apostle Paul would go to? Because you see, the church in Rome, the church in Rome was already big before he got there. It already had in it some of the most powerful people in the Roman Empire, people from Caesar's household. It was already the happening place. They wanted him to come, and one would imagine there'd be quite a nice ministry gift, financially, you know, for, for being there. They'd have plenty with which to support him, a strategic base. I mean, it's a good opportunity, isn't it? And here's Paul saying of the church in Rome, well, first of all, I'm not visiting you yet because I've got to go back and give some money to the Jews back home. And then when I do come, basically, it's a stopping off point. I'm off to Spain, where there's no one to receive him, because... The gospel's not got that far yet. Paul's trying to get to the uttermost ends of the earth, which is somewhere around Gibraltar. (laughs) I had um, an invitation this week to go to tea at the House of Lords on Tuesday. Instead, I'm going to spend the day with my (laughs) mother-in-law. When you get invitations, they reveal what's in your heart a little bit, don't they? When you, when you have choices to make, it reveals a little bit what's in your heart. And there's something about the discipline of 
Uh, you know, over the years, we've talked about sending our best. Is it, who, who's heard us use that phrase? I've got, yeah, some people haven't heard us use Maybe we should say it a bit more often. We've had an, a habit of sending the best people that we've got. If there's an opportunity or a need to go and serve somewhere, and there's any way in which we can corporately contribute, then we're happy to send those from amongst us who've got the most ability to be a blessing. I see it as a discipline. It's a discipline a little bit like tithing. When you tithe, what you do is you say, this first 10%, I'm just going to give to God. Done. And it might be that the 90% that's left is enough to live on, or it might not. That's how it works. And you trust God. And you say, well, I've done what's right. And it's a statement of faith. And actually, it transforms your attitude towards all the rest of what you've got as well. Because having given away that bit without understanding all the financial sense you know, sense in it. It's really clear that the rest of it belongs to God too. And it, it sort of seeps into the whole of your attitude towards finance. It's a discipline that deals with your heart and gets it in the right place. Yeah? Yeah. Those of you who are tithing are nodding. The rest of you are unsure. And you'll never know until you do it. The discipline to send your best as a church community elsewhere, it's the same sort of thing. Say, well, God, all of the increase that we have is down to you anyway. So if we give away that which we don't feel we can afford to give away, we're making a statement of our trust in you for what remains. And anyone who's been in this church more than about five years will have seen good friends who you'd love to be hanging around with here and now and doing stuff together here go somewhere else. Um... Some of you have lived with that for a long time. Um, Bev and I occasionally just get depressed at sending off. Yeah, it's great. God's called you there. (laughs) But doesn't it sometimes feel like that when you tithe? Well, there goes the money. I don't know how that's going to work. I'd much rather have it for a new TV. It's 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 the nature of a discipline, isn't it? It cuts across things. Um, anyway, that's, that's in Roman somewhere. It's about um, the discipline of focusing on expansion before other things. He could have gone to Rome. He could have enjoyed the benefits. As, but Paul was clear about what was most important, and he gave his time and energy to expansion at the expense of other. Expansion is a discipline. It doesn't just happen. It's a discipline. It's really sad. The bit about bishops is that the early church replaced apostles with bishops within two generations. And the difference between that was apostles were focused on expansion, pioneering and building, and bishops were focused, in the way that it turned out, on looking after what there already was. And the resources that had been available to support Paul on his missionary journeys, all of that organic giving from people to support the expansion of the movement, got absorbed in looking after what there was already, under the authority of local leaders who didn't have an expansive vision we have the next slide? See if you can recognise yourself. A couple of you might. Uh, this is, uh, I think, two years ago, actually, doing what's happening again in about seven or eight weeks' time. A bunch of people going from here to Créteil in south-east Paris to sing carols, because it turns out that the French like Christmas carols when we sing them. And we have a church that's being planted in south-east Paris, and it really helps them that we go over and sing Christmas carols. And so each year, a bunch of people are going over and doing that. Um, 
Local churches here in Romans are supporting the people who have travelled to expand the movement. Actually, one of the things that's really delightful I've discovered about the reality of us as a congregation is the level of direct giving through the church to our missionaries overseas has rocketed in the last year. We didn't make that happen. I mean, as leaders, we didn't go, oh, we didn't come up with a brilliant new strategy, no great videos or anything. Some, God's done something amongst us. I don't know quite what it is, but the level of direct giving through us to missionaries has increased by 50% in the last year. Thank you. That's a good thing. Uh, at the same time, we've got other people like Steve Thomas, again, who are on church staff who are traveling to go and support people. And because all the money's going to our missionaries overseas, we're struggling a little bit with finance for that. But that's another story. Teapots. Um, go back a slide. Ben, who's an engineer, because the water supply only comes on in the middle of the night, has rigged up a lever next to their bed so that when it's the right time of the night, they can just pull a lever next to their bed and fill up all the systems in their house in the middle of the night, close it off again so they've got water for the next day. It's a fairly demanding situation, but Michelle um, writes letters to our oldest daughter, Amber, and sends her gifts uh, to encourage her in the Lord the most recent of which was a small teapot made by local craftspeople where they are, just to say there's someone in another country that loves you, there's someone in another country who's in love with Jesus who loves you too, and may that do you good. It's pretty much the size of it. And Paul was one of these people who's pioneering and going out and expanding the movement, but he's collecting up money to go back to Israel, and there's this connectedness between the people who've gone and the people who are in local church life. And The local churches were caught up in supporting people who went, but the people who went were just as passionate about continuing to be connected to the churches that sent them. Does that make sense? It's all together. It's not separated. My tears, um, the back of the hall, were about the fact that I was in a church, which I was leading the church then, that was a bit more awkward, I was in a church that had held this vision of sending out our best, of growing locally but supporting that wider movement. Been in a church that had had that twofold vision, growing locally, sending people out for years. And I believed in it here, but the honest truth is I had no faith for it, wherever that is. <laughs> had no, not, not really. And people said to me, Yeah, but if we send people out, that's stripping out our resources locally, isn't it? And we can't really go until we've got better locally. Those kinds of things. And in that fusion conference, there's a guy called Alistair Bullen who stood up at the front and prophesied several things over the church. And one of them was, you will see people gathered here and you will send your children to other nations. And said a couple of other things too, but it landed as a word of faith to me because it came from someone outside of our context who didn't know our vocabulary it was like yes that is the call on us as a church and faith and even though by then I was leading the church I'd I'd still not got hold of it properly in my heart I'd been in a church that said all of this stuff about mission but was personally disengaged from it and uh, my guess is that there's quite a few of you in that position You're like, that all sounds good, but the level of personal engagement with it is 
is thin. I'm not trying to point any fingers here. And it connects up with this thing about God releasing fresh apostolic passion and with that ability as well. Those things join up. And God doesn't want me, I know I'm not alone, but God certainly doesn't want me to be alone in banging the drum for something because there's something he once did with me. And for me to be singled out as someone who's got an apostolic passion, that's, there's something for all of us here. There's a shift in our identity and our focus. And I think that's probably about as well as I can describe it, and we need to pray. Can we do that? Because God needs to do something. Come, Holy Spirit.